Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, LB Moniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. Head on over to binawake.com, subscribe with your email address, follow me on Twitter at the LB Moniz. What's going on, everybody? Uh, we back. It's 2023 uh, in this year of our Lord. And uh, this episode, we're going to be having some fun with a recent viral clip featuring everybody's favorite um Everybody's favorite, uh, I guess you would call him a a castaway from the intellectual dark web movement, even though there was never any movement and most of the intellectual dark web doesn't really exist anymore. Sam Harris was in the news recently again uh, for making some interesting claims about how the recent pandemic and subsequent lockdowns could have been uh, better or worse, I guess, depending on... Uh, depending on your perspective and, and also depending on what what he was trying to figure what what he was trying to say now we're going to go a little bit we're going to go a little bit deep on this because it's always worth peeling back the layers of the story to show how these things kind of develop and as i was doing a little bit of research before i start before i hit record i was in, i was really interested to learn and to see kind of how the whole thing comes about now if if you are a fan of this show and if you um if if you know me at all then you know that i'm something of a fan of podcasts in general right like this is uh as much as it is a hobby and a passion for myself it is also something that i enjoy as a consumer just as much as i enjoy as a producer maybe even sometimes more um and so and so part of the reason why you know, I've always been interested in broadcasting and, and in different forms of media. And so not only am I when I when I watch a piece, especially a piece that goes viral, not only am I looking at the actual words that are being said, but I'm also watching things like production value or the forum that it was act, the forum that this was being talked about on and with the lead up to the, what happened beforehand, what happens afterwards, what's the framing of the conversation insofar as I can tell. Now, I'll be honest, uh, before we get into this, I didn't feel like listening to the two hours of the conversation with Sam Harris. Um, in general, I've, uh, it's, you know, for whatever, for wherever him and I probably have many agreements in terms of, I don't know, biology and some other things where we differ greatly. And what, and, and the reason why I wanted to, the reason why I wanted to highlight this clip, because it's very interesting where we would differ greatly is in the idea of spirituality and dogma. Namely, he is a well-known and well-established atheist. He is somebody who has made it a point professionally to, um, He's made it a point professionally to go after Christians and religious people of various kinds. In fact, insofar as I remember his rise to prominence, a lot of it had to do with anti what what we might call anti-Islamic sentiment. And you know, that's maybe me just co-opting a term from the left to be a little disparaging to somebody whose work I, you know, maybe don't appreciate fully. But the point stands that one of the reasons why he was you know, I think one of the reasons why he got a start was was where when he would criticize Islam, when that was a very uh, hot button topic, I don't know, in the mid 2000s or something in the height of the terror wars and uh, and also the migration crisis in Europe. 
so he would have so you know he that that, that was general, but it wasn't from a you know but he he he's an equal opportunity offender when it comes to the subject of religion it's not the case that he thinks that one religion is worse or any better than the other is that he thinks anybody who believes in religion um is uh not well you know not all the way there and so one one area in which i would venture to guess him and i would disagree is in how we would define dogma and in what and what a dogma actually entails see my perspective, and in, insofar as I put it forward from the skeptical position, is that really all of us have to rely on dogma in some form or another. We have to take something as being true with or without proof in order to operate in the world. You can say, you can tell somebody that one plus one is two, and math isn't the best way to make this example, but we'll stick with it for now. You could say that one plus one is two. And, you know, I don't have to prove that to you in order to show that it's accurate, right? I can take one, I can hold up one finger and another finger and I could say this is two. Now, insofar as we understand language, you understand what I mean. I could also represent this symbolically. And it's something that's that's irrefutable in a sense. But that's math, but that's mathematics and that's simple math, right? Now, if you go, now when we get into the complicated nature of human culture and human society, the what i would put forward is that you need that centering gravitational pull of some sort of dogma there's some sort of mythos a founding story that we see throughout all of human history and i do think in large part that's one of the reasons why uh and that's something that that every human society needs in order to propagate now as an atheist this is where they get tricky and slippery because what i think is a fair assessment of the 20th century briefly before we get into the video, is that, you know, you can't necessarily lay all the problems of human history at the feet of religion, given the fact that atheistic atheistic governments of the 20th century, namely communist governments, killed tens of millions of people. And the reply to that from the new atheists, generally speaking, is that, well, they had a cult of personality around people like Stalin, therefore, it was not actually atheistic. To which I reply, no, you're precisely proving my point. It is the case that in the absence of a uniting of a, of a uniting mythos, to use the word in a technical sense, in the absence of that, there is no that, that cult of personality will in fact take over, because your faith, right, your faith, your faith in your faith in the ordering of the universe that if you that waking up tomorrow you're not going to float away into space. The basic idea that tomorrow is going to be generally the same as today, and so we can make certain predictions about what's going to happen. There, there has to be at some point in time a, 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 an effort of taking some of these things on faith, taking these things for granted, and from there you can then discover more. And and in fact, you know, and then in, and then you also have the 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 ability to reason. However, reason is an individual pursuit. One of the benefits of written language in particular is that you can we can we can actually outsource information to where I can pick up like a book and I can read the words of somebody who wrote something a thousand years ago. And now suddenly I am my my ability to reason and think and process information has improved because I can I can build on top of what they did. But see, at some point, there has to be an initial chain. There has to be some point that that starts the movement. That's what I would. That's where I would think I would differ, cosmo- cosmologically, from somebody like Sam Harris, to where I don't have the same 
you know, and I certainly don't have the vitriol that he has towards religious people, towards um, atheists. I just find I, I find many of I find his particular breed to be um, well, as as you'll see, he's a great example of what the uh, the, the the broadcaster Beaver Fry calls pro- confession through projection. I don't know if he originally created that, but certainly that's where I first heard it. And it's um, it, it as, as, as we walk through it, you're actually going to see that he does it almost back to back. So we're going to play the clip and probably I might stop all the way through. Well, I might stop a couple of times as we're going through it, um, but we're going to play the clip and then we're going to go ahead and, you know, give a little bit of background for the show that he was on because um, that's because that's part of it. So this wasn't this wasn't something from Sam Harris's solo podcast. I don't keep up with his work, so I don't know where it's at. Um currently but i know that he you know got off twitter because of elon musk and blah 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 so it's like kind of difficult to keep up with people when they leave a when they leave a platform like twitter and you're not that interested in their content um long story short he did an interview with this fellow uh john wood jr who i have not heard of before this he's got almost 2000 subscribers and apparently this is episode 1 so what I don't know and what we're going to kind of learn together here is I just quickly flip over to his page. So, yeah, it looks like he doesn't have that many. It looks like he's done. Okay, so he's done like some videos. He has a very nice studio from what I can tell. Um, Sam Harris is an in-studio for the clip, but he has a very, very nice studio. So let's see. Paul, he's, this, is his, this is his bio from YouTube. Politicians talk about uniting America, but who really means it? Millions of people think the USA is on the brink of divorce, but who is serious about holding America together? It's going to take more than slogans to heal a country torn apart by mobs, demagogues, and social media. It's going to take leaders willing to talk to all sides and challenge everyone to do better. John, let's see, what does it say here? John Wood Jr., the National Ambassador for Braver Angels, has spent his life at the intersections of race, class, politics, and faith, rebuilding rebuilding trust between the American people to save American democracy. Listen as he challenges and humanizes some of the uh, leading and most controversial figures in our politics while bringing you into the movement to build a house united. That all sounds very nice, but that's the thing about, you know, what, what, what have we learned in this show as we've gone through things just because something sounds nice doesn't mean it's a, a good thing. Now let's see the braver angels who that's he's that's who he's an ambassador for is a 501 nonprofit dedicated to political depolarization. The organization runs workshops, debates, and other events where red and blue participants attempt to better understand one another's position and discovered shared values. You know, it's funny because I've actually noticed a trend in this from the left recently they seem to be where conservatives were maybe four or five years ago your mainstream conservative and it really at the at the at the introduction of like the joe rogan experience and and the and the jordan petersons and the brett weinsteins and the sam harris's and the ben shapiro's this whole idw thing that happened a few years ago was basically conservatives saying like hey can you guys stop hating us or the, you know, the right generally speaking and the, and basically the whole left saying no. And so you had some of these academics from the left. And again, this is one way to tell the story. Um, these, these academics, you know, public and, and, in and in the university system being like, well, that, I mean, yeah, we don't, we don't need to hate you. Right. That was kind of, you know, that was maybe one of the popular narratives of, of it. 
where they were then, I have noticed recently there are some out some progressive elements who are trying to attempt to do the same thing. We might get into that at some other later uh, at another time, but it is worth it is worth putting out there that this is now an an an, an, uh, an echo or refrain, and you know, and maybe in no small part because people are seriously worried about the idea of a national divorce or the idea of an escalation in what we might call the culture wars. But without further ado, let's get into this clip. Let's have some fun making fun of Sam Harris. And uh, yeah. All righty. Take it back to COVID for a second. In one way, and we got very lucky that COVID wasn't worse than it was, right? You know, it could have been much, much worse. It could have been 10 times as deadly or, or you know, 50 times as deadly and we would have we would have lived through or many of us wouldn't have lived through something truly awful but um mm. had covid been worse you know uh, just enough worse to really get our attention to really be undeniable we would have had a different political conversation around it there would have so what does he actually said here Right. Like this is this is the interesting thing. And that's why I want to that's why that's what's going to be fun about this examination of what was leading up to this conversation and what kind of comes afterwards. So what does he say here? Well, he said the political conversation, if I could restate his point around around the virus and around the the, the actions and the the proper course of action for society to take in the aftermath of it. Would have been different if the conditions of the virus itself were different which isn't really saying anything. So I have this phrase I like to use. It's like you can use words to say nothing. And as we'll see as we go into the broader thing, some of this is like a consequence of stream of consciousness, right? He says here at the beginning that, you know, let's go back to COVID for a second. He's trying to make another point. And so he's trying to parlay the point that he was making before, which we'll kind of disjointedly get into after this, into something about well if the, if every if every last little thing about this was different people would have had a different reaction to it there wouldn't have been the same kind of vaccine skepticism brett weinstein would not have been releasing 80 straight podcasts on the dangers of the vaccine if a few variables were changed i mean just just take that if a few variables were changed then that means you have to, as a scientist, this is the interesting thing because he talks about he talks before this about not being tribal, right? And that his and that ultimately that's what that's what maintains his support is that he's not a tribal person. He just follows where good reason would send somebody. What he's saying here is very very interesting because he's he's admitting a scientific truism that if the variables are different, you would come to a different conclusion. What he doesn't do, and, he, and and you know maybe he does it early in the conversation, and maybe he does it at the end of the at the end of the conversation, because there's a whole segment of this about why him and Brett Weinstein aren't friends anymore. And I again just didn't feel like listening to it. I've heard it kind of from the other side, and you know I'm already not a fan of him. We're we're doing this to have, we're doing this to poke some fun at him. So anyway, long story short, him and Brett don't get along. So it's kind of there's a personal element of beef within these things. But it seems to hang up on but, – but both of them claim to be scientists who follow reason. Leave COVID exactly – It reminds me of that South Park episode 
of where they go into the future and everybody's atheist and it's like the the uh, universal atheist alliance or the atheist universal alliance and that's what people are disagreeing is what's the most logical form that the that the uh, what's the most logical name that our system should take yes it is but just make it preferentially dangerous children rather than to old people right just flip that Mm -hmm. around the, the the variable of age if kids were dying by the hundreds of thousands from from covid at a rate of whatever it was you know one percent say um mm-hmm. but if it was pretty much all kids we we would have had a very different experience. oh really you don't think so? yes of course we would have Right. So it's like, again, there's no there's no point being he's not making any point. He's basically creating a fiction in his mind at this moment. And he's saying, well, if, you know, the world was a, what I wanted it to be, then more people would agree with me. The, great. That's what pretty much everybody believes. Right. That's the that's like the problem of the natural subjective universe that apparently he's supposedly has studied as a neuroscientist. But I don't know, maybe he just doesn't understand. Let's get back to the clip. Right. And right. and the patience that there would have been no fucking patience for vaccine skepticism. Mm-hmm. Right. And we everyone. There wasn't patience for it. This is not my body. This, my is, choice. this is the funny part, though. He's saying there would have been no patience for it. There wasn't patience for it. How many people how many people listening to this had some sort of deterioration in a relationship because of their position in regards to the vaccine? I would venture to guess almost everybody who's listening to this, whether it was an acquaintance or somebody who was very, very close to you. Sure, you've at least lost a Facebook follower if you talk a Facebook friend if you talked publicly about something like this and you took the dissenting position. So that's the fun. So again, he's setting this up in his mind. It's like, because because what? What 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 in his mind? Because literally in his mind, if people can talk about it, that means that there's that there's room for it. See, because in his mind, he would have put these people in jail or worse, as again, you'll see we're going to get into when we go before he starts this rambling. This is you're not going to kill my kids with your with your ignorance. Right. And people said that change one other variable. What if the vaccines actually really did block transmission much better than they, in fact, did? Right. And there was a moment Mm -hmm. where it was only rational to expect them to block transmission. Turns out they don't don't do it nearly as much as what rational basis, right? And so this is this is one of those things where it, this this interviewer is not trying to be a, do any kind of pushback. From what I could tell, he's very friendly to Sam Harris. Comes from a similar school of thought. Not a problem. That's one of the fun things about doing interviews is somebody asks you questions and you just kind of get to answer them the way you feel, right? So I'm not I'm not like knocking the guy's interview style or anything like that. But I'm just pointing out that there that there's agreement here. But he what what does he say? Let's go back a few seconds and listen again to what he says. To expect them to block transmission, turns out they don't don't do much better than they in fact did. Right now, there was a moment where it was only rational to expect them to. It was only rational to expect them to block transmission. Except when I was growing up and I was a young lad and. 
a very small Catholic school with probably outdated textbooks, if I think about it, but maybe not. I mean, you know, I, I don't really remember what year they were published relative to the year of my attending, but I remember learning in basic biology class about coronaviruses and what made them different from things like varinoviruses and other viruses that the human body can contract, at least for people who believe in that sort of thing. Um, and I, uh, sorry, joke. Um <laughs> But in particular, one of the reasons why there's no cure for the common cold, for example, has to do with the fact that it was and the flu and why you have to have a different flu shot every year. And even if you get the flu shot, there's no guarantee that you're going to not catch the flu. Is that coronaviruses in particular had had a, have a high degree of mutation. Again, this is something and this was one of those things in the memory banks from like well before uh, well before I was an adult studying political theory. Right. This is just something about the world that I remember learning as a kid. So I started from the exact opposite perspective as Sam Harris. And I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to say it was only rational to assume it was only rational to assume that they were trying to prevent transmission. Right. It's only rational. It's only rational to assume. You would think that the people designing that are, were trying to reduce it, but there was no I, – I was saying I, – I remember making the case to family members from the beginning that in particular the, the, the type of virus it was would have an effect on uh, – would have an effect on, on things. And you know, again, so this is – so again, you'll see where this is going. It's fun. We're going to have some – we're having some fun at Sam Harris's block transmission. Turns out they don't, don't do it nearly as much as we would hope. Yeah. So, point. so, you know, a lot of us and, you know, this, so I'll be, this was my calculation because I am, you know, I'm not the most dogmatic person in the world. I do consider myself something of a scientist, if you will, only in that I try to make, I try to, you know, hi, put out hypotheses and test them as best I'm able and make observations based off patterns that I observe. You understand? It's the it's it's the basic idea of sense making that's at the core of this show. The irony, of course, being that Sam Harris's show is about making sense, and you know this is about better sense making here. That's what we're actually doing. But so if everything was different, and if the and if the thing actually worked, then we wouldn't have tolerated we wouldn't have tolerated dissent. Point. Uh, they just shorten the window by, by which you know during which transmission is possible. Uh, uh, if they're even doing that now, I don't know, but. Um... Let's say the vaccines really did block transmission, but then nothing else was, you know, all of the other mishigas about how, you know, untested they are and how dangerous they yet might be and the spike protein and blah, blah, blah. Leave all that in place. Just give me a little more transmission blockage and give me kids being preferentially killed or, or injured by yeah, this, right. this disease. The, it, the, the obscenity of much of what... Uh, was said what much of what was said about COVID at the time at which it was said, you know, the 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 conspiracy thinking, the platforming of people who were obviously unwell and unbalanced professionally and mentally around around mm -hmm. vaccines uh, and their skepticism, the patience for that would have been non-existent, right? And so we so in, in some sense we got unlucky. Uh, at how benign this was and how mysterious it it could yet seem, because yeah, you could you could run the argument. Well, did he die? Unlucky that it wasn't worse, because see, that was precisely the point. In fact, everybody I knew, even the most dogmatic religious people that I know, 
ever, and in fact, they were the ones who had the insight first, as you might imagine they would. If it was the reverse situation, of course, everything would have been different, but it wasn't. And that's the key here. So we have to, we, there's a question we have to answer if we want to really understand what's going on. But let's stay on this for a second. It wasn't the reverse. It wasn't the situation that Sam Harris is wishing that it was where children were dying by the millions. Why? Yet to be, yet to be, yet to be answered. But it was the case that it was targeting the old and the infirm. The, and again, the religious people in my life had to put it very well. Those people have lived their life to the fullest. And if the choice is between shutting down civilization, the choice is between shutting down civilization or letting kids grow up the way that they should, as close to as close to as as, as good a life as their parents can provide for them. If if the cost was shutting down the world or letting kids have a childhood, the religious people knew that it was about letting children have a childhood because they're the future. Sam Harris is upset that more children weren't dying because people didn't learn their lesson. Die from COVID or with COVID. He was 80 years old, right? Um, yeah. We, you know, that was the situation we were in. I'm saying that there, there, there are changes in the real world that could have happened and could yet happen that would be would have been immensely clarifying, right? And mm -hmm. there just would have been no there would have been no less. Is, the just a, I'm just asking questions routine would have not gotten anyone anywhere worth going, right? And that's um, I think there. So you know, to part of what we're talking about here is for, you know with respect to Trump and with respect to COVID are just contingent facts of these you know, unique situations, which had they been a little bit different, um, we, would, we wouldn't have fragmented. This is his way. point, by the way. Right. You dial let's go up, back. You let's dial listen. Up, you know, with respect to Trump, and with, I think there are, so, you know, to, part of what we're talking about here is, for, you know, with respect to Trump and with respect to COVID are just contingent facts of these you know, unique situations, which had they been a little bit different, um, we would we wouldn't have fragmented in the same way, right? You dial up the you dial up the risk of COVID. We wouldn't you know, have fragmented if, if in the same way if things were different. You know, just made you physically ugly, right? Like if like if, if COVID was monkeypox. <laughs> now right? he tried. Now he's trying so to bring introduce some levity, face, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. He's already well, made that, his point. Now he's trying to introduce some levity because he kind of realized he rambled. Experience we all had of you know, do I is it a cold? Is it a flu? Is it COVID? Who knows? You know. Yeah. You know like we just i'm not saying i wish for those things because those are pictures of 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 a worse you know worse suffering for people but had those things been in place again here he goes back um, to I the just point i think we would have witnessed the same kind of shattering of our society around this particular variable and um again so i, I pivot back to the possibility that if we could get a more normal republican candidate who was uh, not a because it's you know, their fault not at the center of a personality cult built on misinformation. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that... It, Again, personality cult. Again, personality cult built on misinformation just asserted, right? Back to something more recognizable uh, that doesn't... Something more recognizable, something that was something that existed before the 90s. 
like a basically what these people want. And I, but I, I grant you that I do feel like we are in the presence of a social emergency. Uh, it's mm. just the question is, could it, could something other than talking about it be the process by which we overcome it? Mm. Something other than talking about something other than talking about it, huh? Yeah, that's a that that's exactly where that's exactly where we are. That's the funny part. It's the con, the conclusions are the same. Um, now, immediately after this in the interview, he they they pivot. He basically asked what happened between him and Brett Weinstein, and I'm sure he went through and talked about how there were opportunities and they didn't why he didn't want to talk to him and blah blah blah. If you're interested, I'll have a link to the I'll have a link to this interview. You can listen to the whole thing. Of course, I'm not going to stop anybody from doing that, but I just personally didn't feel like it. But that's what he does immediately before immediately after this. What's now yeah, we lost our light. That's funny. Now, what's very interesting is moving on is like I said, what's more interesting to me is what happened before in this conversation. Now you'll notice there at the end when he was kind of trying to when he realized he had been rambling for a bit, when he realized he had been rambling for a bit, he uh he kind of like, you know, backtracks and he says, oh, hey, you know, this is you know, this is with Trump and with COVID. If things have been different, we wouldn't have fragmented. Now, this is a few minutes before the conversation. We're just going to kind of go. We're just going to kind of listen and go through it. I'm going to point something out about uh, we'll see if you catch it. Oops. So let's do so, And so this is this. Like I said, this is right before we're talking about how do we return to political normalcy. Now, this is the very interesting thing. Like I said, there's this there's this starting movement that is well behind where it was, uh, where 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 like you know your average conservative was five or six years ago is basically where some progressives are kind of realizing things are today, and and I've heard this expressed. I've seen it. I've seen it manifested online. I've also heard it expressed in my personal life as well. There's a starting point. There's a line. And it basically says, as long as you agree, right? Because Trump is the ultimate scapegoat. If you go back and look at the writ, go, uh, you know, do a free trial at beenawake.com. You can access the archives. You can go read the piece that I wrote at the beginning of 2020 about the ritual that we're living through, where I talk about what I think is coming next in terms of the scapegoating ritual that is occurring in our political process, right? Um, long story short, basically, you know, this is this is the line of, for the people who want to, you know, they they want democracy to work. We're ambivalent on the concept of democracy on this show, if I'm being completely honest. I look at as, as as somebody who studied philosophy and somebody who tries to make sense of things, I take a much longer time view than time uh time horizon than any one po- particular political order. And that's what I think is so interesting about political philosophy and what we've seen recently in regards to how that does relate to democracy and liberalism at large. Topic for another podcast. Let's stay on, let's stay on topic for Sam Harris and let's let's point out what would let's actually put you know we're going to put some context into this. this is what was occurring right before he goes on this rant where he wishes and I do think he cuz the guy this guy John Wood Jr um this guy John Wood Jr said something to the effect of like well you know I'm not really sure why what what you were listening to but this is the conversation that we had as far as I can tell, it was a pretty accurate thing to say that, you know, if things were different, then, you know, that's his point that we wouldn't have fragmented there. 
our focus. Now the person who was now the person who shared this to kind of make the clip go viral was pointing out that Sam Harris has this weird obsession with uh, dead children. It's actually not a weird obsession. It's just a matter of reasoning and logic. And one thing that you do, especially if you're a public intellectual and a public speaker, is you'll often jump to a worst case scenario. And the reality is, at the end of the day, there's nothing worse for society than dead children. That's you know that's that's innate. Uh, in the way we tend to talk about um, much of this subject, and it is an important part, but the thing that I think I'm I'm trying to sort of lift upward in 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 the frame here is this idea that but we have to start by humanizing one another across these social disconnects, right? We we have to reestablish sort of the social fabric of mutual humanization so that the trust can be there so that we can then move to the point of of reasoning. And I guess that I'm, you know, in pointing to, to, to Braver Angel's work, describing that project and engaging with yourself and others, sort of on a little bit of a campaign to say, you know, let's let's reallocate some significant portion of our intellectual energies and our social capital and our and our ability to reach larger audiences towards, you know, this 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 uh, this project of being able to sort of um, reestablish trust on the basis of persuasively, you know, showing people to the extent to which we can that we are not one another's uh, enemies elementally. I mean, we 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 may find ourselves in adversarial positions on the basis of the fact that competing, you know, perspectives, and maybe one is very much from truth, one is very much informed by misinformation. Well, there it is. I was actually about to be really nice to this guy, and then he said that, right? Because basically what he's laying out up until that moment, right, where the mask slips, he's laying out the basic formal the formal proposition for democracy, that even if we have some – even if we're adversarial, that doesn't mean we're not working towards the same goal. And the work that – again, the work that this organization does, Braver Angels does, is allegedly, ostensibly trying to bridge the gap between the left and the right. But what does he say here? One side is relegated. One side is grounded in truth. The other side is grounded in misinformation. I didn't listen to this whole thing all the way through where we started playing. I actually I actually originally listened a little bit after this. I'm going to venture to guess that he's not talking about progressives who, who watch CNN when he's discussing misinformation. Now, these conflicts matter, and there's got to be sort of you know, a winner and, and, and a loser in, in, in elections and arguments of this kind. But that nevertheless, you know, it'll be a Pyrrhic victory for, for either side if we're not able to come to the point to where we have rehabilitated this, this fabric of trust and social connection. So then the question simply becomes, how on earth do you do that? And, and, and that's why, you know, I, you know, try and put on the table that, you know, the pieces about, you know, the, the, the heterodox sort of social networks, you know, how did, how was it possible that we were able to bring people together from across all these perspectives to where they could sustain intellectual attention in part because people were willing to attribute uh, goodwill, integrity, and social trust to influential people like, you know, yourself and Shapiro away on the other side and various people <laughs> in between, but that that then extended to your followers from different parts of the spectrum. And you know, for that one brief shining moment, you had this sort of Camelot thing that dissolved. But can we learn from something from that? That was a weird. That... There's a weird metaphor. In one brief shining moment, you had this Camelot that dissolved. Yeah, 
that's an interesting that's an interesting metaphor that he's trying to paint that allows us to you know to to sort of scale that phenomenon uh, up in our own time and, and he's again, searching for so like so he's searching for a question this entire time and this is what this is one of the production things that i wanted to kind of talk about is like so one thing that's like like a good when you're clued into a conversation and you're having a good conversation and like a really good interview and for example what makes joe rogan a very good interviewer is the fact that he he's completely focused on the person that he's talking to and whether or not he agrees with them his purpose is always to extract as much information from them as he can Whereas this guy is trying to work something out in real time. And again, you can see, and maybe you can't tell, but there's like, there's kind of like a plotting where he's bouncing back and forth. He's not really making any sort of point. He's not really building any kind of argument. He's kind of just saying, he's reaching over here and he's saying, well, there's, there's truth. There's misinformation. There's braver angels. We try to connect people. There was this shining moment at one point in history. And you're a part of this, Sam Harris. W example, I I go back to the nonviolent movement because you know, I see that as being, again, meaningfully different in, in innumerable uh, ways on the level of detail, but ultimately being a highly salient historical example of how it is that sort of, uh, you know, something of a transcendent enunciation of our, of our uh, mutual sort of, you know, human connection can create social and psychological oh space for a revisiting of, of of the legitimacy of deeply held prejudices and bigotries right what? um i feel like there's a lot oh. to be learned from that and in what? any event i don't see any man that was some interest all right hang on we're, we're going back and we're going to re-listen to that solution that uh, just, was just I, that was gobbledygook know, conflicts matter and there's got to be sort of you know a winner and and, and, and a loser in, in in elections and arguments of this kind okay well, there has but to be winners and losers you know it, it'll be a pyrrhic victory for for either side a pyrrhic victory which is a rhetorical victory which is a victory in name only rehabilitated this this fabric of trust and social connection so then the question simply becomes how on earth do you do that and and, and that's why you okay, know, so how do we do that? You know, how do we do that, John Wood Jr.? The table that you know the piece is about, you know, the, the, the heterodox sort of social networks. Heterodox social networks. How okay. Was it possible that we were able to bring people together from across all these perspectives, to where they could. Sustain- how it was possible is that a few years ago there was still a semblance of academic neutrality in pop in the popular consciousness, and in fact, you were just starting to see academics being pushed out because of the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that were being implemented by universities. That's one of the reasons why it happened, John. Staying intellectual attention, in part because people were willing to attribute uh, goodwill, integrity, and social trust to influential people like you know yourself and Shapiro away on the other side, and various people in between. But that that then extended to your Ben Shapiro, one, but Ben Shapiro, by the way, one of the most mainstream conservative sources. Different parts of the spectrum, and you know, for that one brief shining moment, you had this sort of Camelot thing that dissolved. Yeah, the Camelot. Sorry, I went a little too far back. From that, in a way that allows us to can we learn know, to, to sort of scale that phenomenon uh, up in our own time. And, and again, I don't want what, to scale what phenomenon example. I, I go back to the non. Oh, so sca- okay. So he's saying he wants, know. he's trying to figure out how you would scale the IDW phenomenon up. Well, you don't do it by calling people by calling half of the polity rooted in misinformation, John, you don't do it that way. You don't do it by 
Yeah, yeah. Let's just let's just stick with that. You don't I do it by saying that that, ha- that one side is rooted in truth and another side is rooted in misinformation. You're not repairing any social fabric when you do that. As being again meaningfully different in in, in new. Now we're talking about the nonviolent uh, movement. I'm assuming he's talking about the nonviolent movements of the late 20th century, detail. vis-a-vis MLK, vis-a-vis Gandhi. But ultimately, being a highly salient historical example of how it is that sort of. Uh, you know, something of a okay, so, transcendent. So the nonviolent movement is a salient historical example of enunciation of our of our uh, mutual sort of you know human connection can create social and psychological space for a revisiting of 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 the legitimacy of deeply held prejudices and bigotries, right? Okay, so what he's do? Okay, so so I think I got it now. So what he's saying is. When certain things happen in a way, it creates an opportunity for people to um, for people to readjust their preconceived consumption uh, assumptions about the world, which is to say a major a major event. And so we just had one of those. You know, he talked about the he was talking about the nonviolent movement of the late 20th century. I've talked about this, too, a lot, a lot on my show. Right. I've actually talked about this in terms of like everybody has. Everybody, everybody, generations and people will talk about where were you on certain days, right? In American history, we can point to things like Pearl Harbor. Everybody kind of knows where they were when Pearl Harbor occurred if you were alive at the time. For millennials such as myself, we have a few of these things. We have where were I, and you know, I've said it, I've put it like this, where were you on 9-11, right? Where were you when the towers fell? Where were you when, you know, Barack Obama was elected president? Where were you when Trump was elected president? And where were you when you heard that the governor of your state was locking things down? So, of course, anytime there is a mass event that affects a massive amounts of people, it actually always automatically creates the space for psychological improvement or whatever the heck this guy's uh, this guy's going on about. Now, again, for reasons I'm sure have to do with his particular skill set, he's bringing this to like, you know, Racial race and prejudice, which is just kind of what the the left always does. But let's keep listening because Sam's about to start talking. Um, I feel like there's a lot to be learned from that, and in any event, I don't see any any more plausible sort of solution. Uh, just just because I I, I don't see it as likely that we're just going to get a return to normalcy through sort of you know. Entropy. I, I don't see it as terribly likely that we're ever going to go back to sort of establishment Republican and neoliberal 1990s kind of, you know. Um, Why should and, we? You know, um, the neoliberal, the neoliberal order took the moment of the wall falling, took the end of communism and made it worse. You could almost argue the world was better with the communism in it than not when because the neoliberals are in charge. Uh, now, granted, I can't. Not, okay, I'm obviously not substantiating that claim right now, but I'm, you know, just kind of replying to this idiot. Status quo. Sorry, I shouldn't call him an idiot. Social energies and and, and that's the Midwest and, and me. The apologizing become so radicalized. Um, I think something similarly radical in a constructive direction has to happen on the cultural uh, in, in the cultural soil, and I'm trying to come to the place to where we can begin to sort of imagine together just what in the hell that might look like. Uh, so. Okay, I, so let's let's imagine. Forgive that. me, because I know it doesn't afford of an easy response, but 
but that is what I'm that is at least the picture yeah. I'm trying to paint for us. So again, this is this is this is the conversation right before talking about dead kids. And uh, I'm not sure what the shape of it would be. I mean, something radical's got to happen. I mean, the, the way I try not to words. build trust intellectually at, at least is to to point out again and again that I I'm fundamentally not tribal. Right. I mean, I've right. So here, here's where he makes the case. He's not tribal. I think intellectual honesty is leading me. So, you know, there, there are very few people on Earth who who uh, are as critical of, of Donald Trump and his influence as I am. And yet it's also true to say that there are very few people on Earth who are as critical of, of wokeness and, and the, the far left arrangement as I am. I mean, I'm, I can I can I basically. um I'm aimed in both of those directions. So no one can accuse mm -hmm. it. No. This is a quick point I want to make, right? Because they, because, and they say it, they say it plainly, but they don't say it clearly in this conversation, right? It's kind of, and he hinted at it there. They eschew the, the, the alleged radicalism of the modern day in favor of what they perceive to be a less, how would we say, unstable order namely establishment republicans and neoliberals so what he wants is a world of denny hastert's who was who was you know molesting children and and clintons who were you know again raping women and, and a bill clinton who's raping women those he'd rather have people like that in power that make him feel better about the system than perhaps dealing with some more radical types it's a very and, you know, and again, he calls this and he, he says he's not tribal. No, Sam Harris, this is tribalism of its own kind. You're just your tribe is that of the establishment that, again, ruined the world after the fall of communism. That's that's your tribe, Sam Harris. It's not that you're not tribal. You can try, as I'm sure you as I'm sure you do as a scientist, you can try with all you all you want to check your biases, to work against them, to make sure you account for them in your own reasoning. Now. He doesn't do it that much because he doesn't believe that he has a bias, right? Just like he does, he believes that he doesn't have a tribe when he very clearly signals here the type of polity that he would prefer to be living under. Again, these are this happens so often in these kinds of conversations, and it rep, and it's representative of a particular what we could call neoliberal, new atheist worldview. Beyond Trump, can accuse me of being captured by the far left because i'm simply not and no one who doesn't like me on so he's the talking about trump can accuse me of being a trumpist because i'm not and um and there's a and this gets this becomes very fine grained because you know yes i think you know so I, watch here he's I, I stuttering for hours he's and not, hours about not really sure where he wants to go yet much of what the left thinks is wrong with trump is is mistaken Right. Many of the allegations of racism against Trump, I consider false allegations, even though I think Trump is racist. Right. So I, you know, I, I have very little doubt that Got Trump it, is know, actually racist. He has to, he has to signal to the leftist altar. From the left. And I mean, I mean, even the mainstream left, much of, much of what you'd hear about Trump on CNN or MSNBC is just obviously dishonest and unfair. Right. Well, and, and can I say one of the one of the persuasive things about your credibility in this direction is not only what you've said, but the fact that, you know, you've also said, and I, I referenced this, I think, in, in um, one of my articles recently for USA Today, but you've actually expressed some solidarity 
with many of Trump's supporters on the basis of sharing a number of their political and, and uh, number of their political and social concerns over things like the yeah. rule of law and immigration, and so on and so oh, yeah. forth. Yeah. And, and I, I think that you do still have- You know, it's funny. I normally listen to these things on 1.75 speed. And so I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm, I get the idea. And then I play them back for the show on one time speed. And I'm just sitting here like, can we get to the point? Uh, credibility with some of those folks on the basis of the fact that anybody who's listening closely enough can can see that you're not dehumanizing all of their concerns across the board, right? It can yeah. be harder for folks to hear that nuance when the headline is, you know, down on down on Trump. But those points of a connection matter. No, I, I probably agree. I agree with many of their concerns. Yeah, I mean, in many okay. cases, I probably agree with. Pay attention. Of their concerns. You know, so it's not. So he's saying he agrees with the concerns of Trump voters. It's um, but there are just there are some bright lines here that if you if you're on the if if you're on the wrong side of this specific line, there really is not much more to talk about, right? So and now what what lines would that be, Sam Harris? What line in particular are you going to jump to? Is saying if you can't if you can't get on the other side of this, brother, you're well, you're no brother of mine. You know, there, there, there are lines with respect to Trump. There's lines with respect to far left craziness. There are lines okay, there, there are lines there. Science and you know, I mean, if you think that could you give me a... six thousand years okay. old and the Bible is the perfect could you give us an example? Word of the uh, of the Creator and it's perfectly inerrant, right? Um, okay, mm -hmm. if that if that's non negotiable, if you don't want to hear anything that that disparages that claim, okay, then. It's going to be a very short conversation. I've had those conversations. I've had. So you can't be religious. Because he mixes a few things together there, right? He talks about the Bible and being 6,000 years old. Then he talks about the inerrancy of the Bible. Inerrancy, by the way, would be different doctrinally, as far as I understand it, from like Sola Scriptura, right? So like he's, you know, again, he's, he's, he's purposefully lumping all these things to create a boogeyman. Public debates around all of that, but. And if that's a truly unmovable object, we got a problem, right? Now I can be nice in the green room, you know, like I'm not an I'm not an I'm not an asshole. So it's like we're, we it's, I can I can be totally friendly to someone who I'm going to debate on that topic, uh, and I can feel compassion and love, and we can talk about other things and how. So we can be friendly and, to people. You know, isn't it, isn't the weather great? But for the purposes of of persuasion, if if that claim is unmovable, well then. It's uh, nothing of substance is really going to happen, and there there are analogous things with with the topics we're touching here. So it's um. Now he loses train I do of thought. hold out hope that there are things out in the world that will push people around and will change things. I mean, I think we got very unlucky. Take take it back to COVID for a second. Okay, so now we're back where we started. Take it back to COVID for a second, and remember, he ultimately says that if a little if things had gone a little bit differently with Trump and COVID. Well, that maybe, just maybe, we wouldn't have fractured in the way that we did. Of course, it again. So it's just so now, as you can see, the entire, the entire idea. What's what's very interesting is that this required almost no prodding. As you can see, it had almost no connection to what the what the what the guy was doing on the show beforehand. Right now, ostensibly, and you know what? Again, I'm, and maybe I'm being a little harsh on on the guy on um. I'm I'm really not trying to be disrespectful. I'm I do try to uh, John Wood Jr. 
Is that the guy's name? Yeah, I remembered it. Nice. John Wood Jr. So, you know, this guy, even though this guy, John Wood Jr., like, you know, ostensibly, okay, so you're trying to make the left and the right talk to each other. I, that 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 works. I mean, you know, in some respects, it's, it's actually just working on communication skills in general is what I would say. And the fact, you know, people just have like the wrong model with which to talk about political ideas. A lot of that is influenced by what I call the cult of American democracy and what we also see represented in the main in the mainstream press as well. It's a bad model. It's a bad model for having these kinds of conversations, but it's the one that most people consume politics through. So I think this is the only way to talk about it. So that was the conversation that was try that that the that the interviewer wanted to have. And in the course of trying to respond to that to respond to that answer, Sam Harris wishes that the world had been different. Well that's not the work of a good scientist, is it, Mr. Harris, or Dr. Harris, I should say. That is not the work of a good scientist, is it? No, see, a good scientist takes the world around him as it is and develops theories that work within that context. Wishing that the world fits to your model is exactly how we got in this mess. And in fact, is, is the result of a certain academic discipline that prefers lofty theoretics over the app, over physical application. And in fact, in many ways, you know, application itself is a kind of like a dirty thing. Because the real world is actually messy. Politics is actually messy. Persuasion is actually messy. And now, and the problem is where we are in our where we where we are in our society at the moment is the stakes are just a lot higher. But that doesn't come from a place that doesn't come. See, it doesn't come from the pandemic. It doesn't come from the subsequent lockdowns. It doesn't come from the election of Donald Trump. It comes from the fundamental belief that one side of a conversation is rooted in truth and another side of a conversation is rooted in misinformation and the subsequent assumption that somebody like Sam Harris makes, which is that he's the one who has it right. He goes on in the interview to say it's in some respects of, you know, that he would bet everything he had and that even if somebody like a Brett Weinstein, which I highly recommend you go listen to his recent appearance on Joe Rogan, because he, you know, he's, he's a technical biologist and evolutionary biologist and somebody who as far as I can tell, actually embodies the role of a scientist more than any of the other talking heads that claim the name doctor that most people and most people in America would turn to. I, there's something there's something about the way he communicates that resonates with me in particular. I find it I, I always find it incredibly elucidating to listen to Brett Weinstein talk about these sorts of things. And he has the knowledge base to to back it up. And he's somebody who ostensibly, you know, he said, he talks about it a lot, had to change his position on things. Those are the words of a scientist. The words of somebody who wishes the world fit to his preconceived notions is a dogmatist. And that's what Sam Harris is. He's just a dogmatist by another name who claims no dogma unto himself. Anyway, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you would, do me a favor, go follow me on all social media at the LB Muniz. like what you heard today, go to beenawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.